Well, thanks again for being here this morning. We're starting a new sermon series today on the book of Jonah. We're going to spend the next five weeks in Jonah. And so I want to begin by asking a question. You're going to have to do a little of imagination here. When is, you, when is the last time you used the phrase or had the thought, this is pointless? I'm so discouraged. I don't like that this is happening. I'm frustrated. This is pointless. Think about that for just a minute. Last time you said that to yourself. A couple of weeks ago, uh, my family and I uh, were at a really fun dinner. Uh, there'll be a picture of it up on the screen. Uh, there were about 100, 150 people there. This is in our neighborhood at, at our little community park. And this was the end of the swim team season dinner. So it's when everybody gets awards. It's when all the kids and their families are there. Picture everybody spread out on a lawn, you know, on a blanket, on a lawn chair. It's a perfect kind of cool summer night. And there's this wonderful potluck underneath the covered area that you can see up there. Um, Everybody brought some food. It's kind of like the potlucks we do here. You get to see just how incredibly skillful some people are at preparing wonderful meals. It was great. And I'm there, and I was just exhausted. Like, I had I'd been in Houston the week before with my mom and dad. Uh, I was coming back with just very little in the tank, so I'm really tired. But I'm trying to get my kids to eat dinner, and all the parents in the room know where this is going. Trying to get them to eat dinner, big potluck, and I swear, there was a whole table that just had everything on the greatest hits list for kids to eat. Mac and cheese, and hot dogs, and pizza, and all the things that if I ate them all at once, I would get major indigestion. That was all laid out there. So I'm thinking to myself, this is great. Like, my kids will be able to eat dinner. They, they, this won't be an issue, right? Right next to that table of the kids' smorgasbord is the dessert table. God bless you if you make good desserts. Don't put them around my kids when I'm trying to feed them. Because what did my kids see? They saw, these were so sweet, they saw these lovely chocolate cupcakes that had this beautiful blue frosting on it with all of these designs befitting a swim team party. So as you can imagine, there was a lovely sort of flowing river design and there was a little buoy and there was, you know, like a pair of swim trunks. They were so great. My two girls saw those cupcakes and that was all they could focus on. Will was chowing down on a pile of fried chicken. You give that kid fried chicken, he knows exactly what to do. But my two girls saw those beautiful cupcakes and went, there is nothing else in the world I want right now. I'm going to destroy those cupcakes. And the thought came through my head, say it with you if you remember it, this is pointless. I cannot fight the battle of them eating their weight in cupcakes right now. So I just gave over it and just said, go destroy those cute designs, eat them up. The story of Jonah involves this guy, this prophet, whose initial meeting, the the moment we meet him, he doesn't say it, but he's thinking it, this is pointless. Say that with me. This is pointless. Jonah is not a happy story with a happy ending. It is a story of struggle. There are are moments of despair. It actually starts out kind of ugly. And so we're going to get into that this week by thinking through the lens of this is pointless. What happens when we say that to ourselves? We're saying, this isn't worth it. It's not worth my time. The hill's too big. It's too complicated. My boss gave me this project. I don't know what to do with it. Why should I even bother? Jonah has that reaction, not toward cupcakes, not toward trying to feed his kids dinner, but through an entire city. 
an entire group of people who are far from God, living in violence, living in injustice. He's revolted by them. They're so other to him. And God says, I need you to go serve those people. I need you to go minister to them. And so Jonah begins his ministry. We meet Jonah as he's beginning this thought of, this is pointless. Why would I want to go serve these people? Jonah's kind of an anti-hero, so we're going to kind of see some of the nuance in his life and his ministry. Like, how does he enter into these things that God gives to him? And so for us, there's going to be some words for us to consider. What do we do when we feel like this is pointless? What do we do when there's something that we really believe God has called us to, but there's barriers to it? There's challenges. Why is there so much resistance in my calling? Why can't I just go do what I love to do? And we're also going to see that calling is really complicated. And there are times that the things that we believe we are called to do are actually going to be some of the hardest things for us to carry. And that's okay. And God is with us in those moments. So I invite you now to open up your Bibles. Turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. There's Bibles on the back table in a little clear plastic box. Feel free to grab one of those. Open up your Bible app on your phone. There's no shame in looking up Jonah in the table of contents. We're going to read verses 1 through 3, and then we're just going to highlight it step by step. There's also an outline in your bulletin uh, that we'll get into in just a moment. But let's listen now for God's word, Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare, went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Yes, there is a fish in the story of Jonah. We are not getting to the fish today. Don't get hung up on the fish. And the outline in your bulletin, I just want to mention this before we get into it. I changed it up a little bit. The first part is setting the stage. That's part one. Part two uh, is the collision course, and part three is calling and challenge. So setting the stage, collision course, calling and challenge. Let's start by setting the stage. Who is Jonah? What's going on? Like, what, like help us kind of orient ourselves to what's happening in this moment. Jonah is introduced in verse one, Jonah, son of Amittai. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. That phrase, the word of the Lord, you'll find that all throughout the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, when God calls someone to be a prophet. A prophet is somebody whose job was to go speak what God wanted to say to a particular group of people. Interestingly, until this moment in the Old Testament, there has not been a prophet called to serve people outside of the nation of Israel. Jonah's the first prophet who God says, you're not going to go tell this to my people. You're going to go tell this to a group of people who don't know me, don't follow me, don't want anything to do with me. He's the first prophet to have to do that. Jonah isn't just first mentioned in the book that bears his name. He's mentioned in 2 Kings 14. I'd encourage you to go read that on your own time. 2 Kings is a really interesting book because it basically goes through not the greatest hits list, but the worst hits list of all these leaders of Israel. There was a period of time in the nation of Israel when things were going great and people were leading well and the kings were doing great. And then all of a sudden it starts to break down with really bad leadership. And Jonah is identified in 2 Kings as somebody that serves under this king named Jeroboam II. All we need to know about Jeroboam II is he's a bad guy. He doesn't listen to God. He doesn't want to do what God wants for him. This is before Israel is torn apart by civil war. It's before they're conquered by foreign nations. 
Jeroboam is one of those kings that should have cared about the things of God, but didn't. Should have helped the people of Israel step into things like living for the call of justice and taking care of the poor and the oppressed in their communities and showing that they worship God with their lives. There's actually an anecdote in 2 Kings where Jeroboam encourages the building of golden calves, golden idols, at all the places of worship around the nation of Israel. He used his kingship to encourage idolatry. All the stuff that Israel is supposed to avoid, that's what Jeroboam is about. So imagine this. You're, you're, this is like picture you know, Game of Thrones or whatever. You're sitting in the court of the king. And the king is sitting on his throne, and all around him are these royal advisors, these teachers, these sages, these military leaders. And then right in the front row is this guy, Jonah, and he's a prophet. And other prophets at this time called out Jeroboam for the bad stuff he was doing. And this is Jonah sitting in the front row in the court of an evil king. He's all for it. He supports the rule of Jeroboam II. He encourages, we believe, this way of governing, this way of leadership that is so not what God wanted. But even as a prophet, he missed it. Even as a prophet, he was not listening to what God wanted. The point I'm trying to make is that Jonah was a leader in in a time in Israel's history when there were mostly really bad leaders. And he was perpetuating that culture of bad leadership. Have you been there? Have you been there in your work, in your school, in your neighborhood, where everyone's just kind of going with the flow? They're all sort of following along with one way of thinking. And you kind of feel a little crazy because you're going like, I don't like that. I don't think we're supposed to be doing that. But this is where everything's going. Okay, well, I guess. Jonah's part of that sort of following the current that everyone else is swimming in. Not only that, Jonah is a deeply prejudiced person. We learned this about him very quickly. At the time, Israel's an independent kingdom. They haven't been conquered yet. They're surrounded by much larger empires. There's all these different empires in the ancient Near East kind of fighting with each other at different times. Biggest one, the Persian Empire. That's kind of the granddaddy before the Romans took over. And then there's this empire known as the Assyrian Empire. So when you think of Assyria, think of modern-day Iraq and parts of Jordan and parts of Turkey The Assyrian Empire was known as a neighbor of Israel that was particularly violent. They had a mean streak a mile long. We would call them a modern-day terrorist state where violence and oppression ruled. They were known for torturing and dismembering enemies that they captured in battle. There's actually stories in ancient history texts of Assyrian armies conquering a group of people, conquering a town, let's say, slaughtering the soldiers and then actually decapitating those soldiers and making their families carry their heads on a pike, parading them through town. That's what they were known for. That's who God says to Jonah, go talk to those people. Go tell them that I am aware of the evil that is in their lives. That's who Jonah is being told to go speak to. This is what God says in verse 2. I'm moving on to the second part of our outline now. That was kind of the setup. Now let's talk about this particular challenge. Go at once to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. So those bad people with the people's heads on the stakes, this is who Jonah is being told to go speak to. God says, go at once to Nineveh, that great city. Great, not meaning great like this is so great. Great meaning big, like it was a large city, not it was a great character city. Cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. 
their wickedness has come up before me. Go to Nineveh. Go to the capital city of the terrorist state that is big, that is soaked in blood, that has a different culture than you, Jonah. Go to these pagans and tell them that I'm aware of what they're up to and they need to change. Now, in the Old Testament, when God comes to a prophet, remember the word of the Lord came to, when that phrase is used, when the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, when the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, when it happens in other books of the Bible, other characters, that person responds by saying, yes, I'll go. The pattern kind of goes like this. God says, go, God says, do, and God says, why? So go, as he says to Jonah, go to Nineveh. God says, do, go speak these words to them. God says, why? Because there's evil there and I will not stand for evil. In every other instance in the Old Testament, the prophet says, I'm in. Jonah doesn't say anything. We don't actually have a recording of him speaking in this part of the text. Listen to verse 3. God says, go to Nineveh. Verse 3 says this, but Jonah set out to flee from the presence of the Lord. Flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He doesn't say anything. He just hightails it. He just runs. God says, I won't stand for injustice and evil. Go to the Ninevites. Help them listen to my message. Jonah says, you've got to be kidding me. What was the phrase we used at the beginning? This is pointless. Jonah remembers from his Old Testament classes when he was a little Jewish boy growing up that the prophet Nahum predicted years before that Nineveh would be destroyed. There was already a prophecy on the books. That city's going to be wiped out. God, why in the world would you want me to go to a group of people that you've already said is going to be wiped out? This is pointless. We can say that, but if God says it, it's not pointless. If God has called you right now to something that you feel like is impossible, if you feel like you're banging the head against the wall, if you feel like this is pointless, this is pointless, If he has called you to it, it is not pointless. If you have had that calling affirmed by people who love you, that they have prayed over you, that you've studied the scriptures, you have seen confirmation of that calling, even if it's hard, you're supposed to be there. If God wants you to be there, you are supposed to be there. And Jonah doesn't get this. Jonah says, no way, not me, not those people, not those disgusting pagans, not those bloodthirsty, terrible people, And yes, we should hear some prejudice in his statement. There is prejudice in the Bible. There are deeply prejudiced people who are depicted in our scriptures because they're real people, because they really lived. So prejudice is not a new thing. It is not an American thing. It is something that has existed in humanity for a long, long time. And I think it's actually encouraging to us to be able to look at Jonah and say, look, I can relate to this guy. He's got stuff in him that is not good, and yet God still uses him. He has things that we are not supposed to have as followers of Jesus Christ. We're not supposed to be prejudiced toward us, other people. We're not supposed to look at other people groups and say, there's no way God could reach those people. But Jonah basically says that, and God still uses him. God still is able to put him in a place where he can be influential. You know, there's an interesting note here. Jonah's actions in these verses go like this. He wants to flee from the presence of the Lord. Does that sound familiar? You know, that's actually come up in the Old Testament before now. It's come up in Genesis chapter four with the story of Cain. Cain, after he murders his brother Abel, wants to flee from the presence of the Lord. 
It says that in Genesis chapter 4. There's a direct line between Jonah's story and the story of Cain trying to get out of there, trying to run. And it's heartbreaking because where can you go to flee from the presence of the Lord? The text tells us that Jonah was uh, trying to get away to Tarshish. Do you know where Tarshish is? It's the coast of Spain, we think. The total other end of the Mediterranean Sea. Think like the Sandals Resorts, right? Like Think like a place where you can go put your feet up and drink a beverage with a little uh, umbrella in it and you're good to go. That's where Jonah wants to go because he believes God would not follow him there. But oh, is he mistaken. He should know better. He should know as a student of the Old Testament that there are promises like this one from Psalm 139. Hear this and think about this. If you're Jonah, you are turning away from this. Psalm 139 says this, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? These are rhetorical questions. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings in the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me fast. How often do we willfully consciously ignore these things like Jonah is doing right here because we don't want to go after what God's telling us to do. How often do we knowingly say like, yeah, God, I I know you told me that you love justice and you were calling your people to pour out righteousness. I know, I know, I know, but I just want to go do my own thing. I want to go to Tarshish. I don't want to go to Nineveh. I'll be really uncomfortable if you send me to Nineveh. Don't send me to Nineveh. I want to go somewhere else. Jonah should have known better, and he didn't. Sometimes our prejudices will get in the way of what God wants to do. God will still do what he wants to do, but our prejudices will try to run interference on us. Sometimes it's our own sinful behavior. Jonah is choosing to look the other direction here. Literally look to the west when God's telling him to look to the east. Sometimes we're really quick to run. Sometimes we're really quick to miss it. And sometimes God calls us to things that are difficult. And the people of God have never thrived when we've turned away from that which is difficult. We have thrived when we've turned toward it. Are you facing a Tarshish and Nineveh decision in your life right now? Are you looking at some opportunity at work going, okay, like they want me to go do this and they want me to manage people and they want me to help build this part of the organization, but I kind of like where I'm at. And maybe you're called to stay where you're at, but maybe that's a Nineveh moment for you where there is something far bigger that God wants you to do. It is not about you. And if God wants you to do it, it is not pointless. It will never be pointless. And maybe you're looking at Tarshish and it just looks really, really good and you don't need to go there. You have to do that work of discernment. As I was reading through the story of Cain this week, it'd been a while since I read it, I was struck by this thought. Cain murders his brother Abel. He runs away from God. God has a dialogue with him and says, your brother's blood calls to me out of the ground. What What a terrifying image, right? What if Cain had just stopped and said, yeah, I did it. I'm sorry. Will you help me? What does Cain do instead? He tries to flee from the presence of the Lord. He tries to run. We can't run. We all, we want to, but we can't. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, this isn't strictly biblical, but what if Cain's life had been different because he actually took that moment and said, God, I just need your mercy. I've done something wrong. What if, what if you can make it right? 
What if Jonah had made that choice? What if you and I, when we're confronted with our prejudices and our sins and our just desire to like keep it, keep it on this, this straight and easy path, don't swerve to the left or to the right, just keep going. What if God says to us, like, just come to me because I want to give you mercy. I want to heal you in this moment. All you got to do is ask me. Is that what we need today, Bethany? We need to be asking for some healing. We need to be asking for God's mercy just to sort of be applied to a part of our lives or to a relationship or to someone that we don't see very often anymore, but there's still hurt, there's still echoes of pain there. And just say, God, put your mercy on my life like a balm, like a healing bandage. Where might that need to be for us, church? So to review, last part here. We've learned that Jonah is a complicated guy. He's kind of an anti-hero. He's got tons of baggage. God wants him to go minister to a group of people that he doesn't like. He runs the other way. And there's so much more to his story that we're going to get into in the weeks to come. But just how can we apply this? Like, what are some things we can sort of take away and and try to make work in our lives? First thing I would say is this, and this is a point that Timothy Keller makes in his book on Jonah called The Prodigal Prophet. Keller says this, because Jonah can't see God's purpose in his call to Nineveh, he assumes there is no purpose. Because Jonah cannot see God's purpose in his call to Nineveh, he assumes there is no purpose. He says, this is pointless. When you and I are tempted in the week ahead to say, this is pointless, let's just stop. Let's be a people who, when we come to our boss's door to talk about this project we don't like, when we come to someone that we manage and say, I really need you to do this, when we just feel that pressure, this is pointless, just pause for a moment and take a deep breath and ask God, God, I have such a tiny view on this situation. My view on this is like this. It's, it's the narrowest field division and your field division is endless. How different of a people would we be if we came to God with that humility to say, I can't see this clearly. I don't know what to do rather than just plowing ahead and trying to figure it out and let's make it work and let's get stuff done, blah, blah, blah. Church, when you come to that moment this week, when you say, this is pointless, I don't want to do this, stop and ask God for his grace, for his viewpoint to be able to see into it properly. Similarly, um, we need to be the kind of people who look at places that others would write off, that we would write off and say, God is still there. God still has work for us to do. The message translation of of verse two, when God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, it says this, go to Nineveh because they're in a bad way and I can't ignore it any longer. God is a just God. And there's so much evil and brokenness and pain in our world today. And the people who follow Jesus Christ are the ones who need to be able to say, yes, this is broken. Yes, this is wrong. And we are praying for an end to injustice, and to cruelty. As God's people, we need to pray and advocate and work toward a day when the kingdom comes, when God's will is done, when all violence and oppression comes to an end because we've been promised that that day is coming. May we never write off a people or a place as too far gone, ever. There may be people and places in our lives where there's not much more we can do, but there is plenty for God to do. Example of that, just from our life together as a community, often you will hear us pray at the end of our worship services for the ongoing wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. 18 years of war 
in those two nations. It's astounding. And soldiers and sailors and people who fly planes and people who make decisions need our prayers because those wars should not be happening. And they need to be done because there needs to be a time in our world when there is no more conflict. And so we're going to pray for those wars to end. We're going to pray for soldiers to come home. We're going to pray until those global conflicts and all conflicts end. Because those places are not places that are too far removed from God, that are too broken, that are too messed up. Forget it. God's people don't play that game. We say, no, God is there. And yeah, it's bad. And yeah, it's broken. And yes, people's lives are lost every day. And we grieve that. But we will pray for a better day. We will pray for a day for those nations and for soldiers and for leaders where those wars are no longer needed. That day will come when God wants it. The final encouragement I would offer us is this. Sometimes calling is really hard. Now, Jonah doesn't enter into his calling really happily. He doesn't enter it with joy and gladness. He fights it. The ironic thing as we study his story is that he's actually successful in his calling. The people of Nineveh hear the word of the Lord. They repent. They change. It's crazy. You think the fish part of this is crazy? Think about pagans changing their lives as being crazy. And Jonah was the guy that fought God the whole time in his call, consistently. He's angry and gripey and whiny until the very last moment. And so what I want to say to us is, if you have heard this story, that if you find what your calling is, it'll be great. And if you just do what you're passionate about, it'll be wonderful. And you be you, and it'll be great. Let me assure you that if you are called to something and God wants you to do it, it will be hard. And that's okay. Do not blame yourself when your calling gets hard. Do not tell yourself, oh, you know, if only I were better at this, or if only I had more skills. Or that. No. If God has called you to it, often it will be hard. Jonah's story shows us that calling can be hard, and we can be at our worst, and God will still use us. Jonah is not some role model for humanity right now. He is a broken, messed up, prejudiced guy. And God still uses him. So in your calling, whether it's to finance or to medicine or to technology or parenting or grandparenting, whatever your calling is right now, wherever that place is that you feel like you're failing, you're just belly up, like I got nothing. This is impossible. Be assured that if Jonah's story can end with God's will being done and his kingdom coming a little bit more, so can yours. So can mine. And it is my great honor to serve and to be called to be your pastor. But if you ever hear me tell you that it has been easy street, you just need to slap me around. Because it's not. Because we're people and we're a family. And it's hard. But I got to tell you, these last couple of weeks, when we have had our congregational town halls to talk about Inglewood Press, and I have seen people come to those and engage in that conversation and show their passion for their church and show their love for this church and their prayers and their support for this church, I have looked at that and just said, God, it is such a privilege to lead in this place. This is an amazing group of people, and I am so grateful. And there will be hard times. In any calling, there have been hard times in my calling, but I tell you, when I see us moving toward things with courage and holding out open hands and discernment like we are right now, it is such a gift to me. And I'm so grateful for that, and I will treasure moments like that. But rest assured, if you are called to something, it will be hard. And that's okay. 
and God will use you. Jonah's story reminds us that calling can be tough, but even when I'm not at my best, even when I'm at my worst, even when I want to whine and complain and I'm unprepared and I'm disobedient, God will not be deterred. And he will use you and he will use me in Nineveh and in Tarshish and everywhere in between. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your hand of mercy upon us. Thank you for reminding us that on our own, this is just impossible. We'll say this is pointless till we run out of breath. But instead, because you have given us your breath and your life and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the story can be different. We can... Step into Jonah's story, knowing that it reflects part of our story. And we can be encouraged that you use him in powerful ways. And you'll use us. You'll use us because we've been here to hear the word, and we've been here to sing, and we've been here to be blessed through this time. And you would not have us come and just leave the same. You would have us come and leave changed. So as we unite our hearts once again in worship and in praise, Would you drive down deep into the core of each of us what you want us to learn and do and become as a result of the text? And may we be a people who are increasingly like Christ through these times of worship together as a family. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.